Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 o'clock. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The Sitka Sound Sacro Herring Fishery remained open for the 11th day in a row on Tuesday, April 6th. Saners hauled in around 900 tons of herring during Monday's opening, according to a press release from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Estimates are not yet available for Tuesday's opener. To date, the commercial fleet has harvested around 14,700 tons of herring. State biologists observed around 20 nautical miles of spawn during an aerial survey Tuesday morning. The majority of the spawn was concentrated along the Kruzoff Island shoreline from Lava Island to Rob Point. Spawn was also observed near the Magoon Islands, from Point Brown to Cresta Point, Permisla and Eastern Bays, as well as Whiting Harbor, near Indian River, and Pirate's Cove. To date, the department has reported just over 22 miles of spawn observed in Sitka Sound. The beginning of the herring spawn in Sitka Sound signals a winding down of commercial fishing and the start of the subsistence harvest, the millennia-old tradition of submerging hemlock branches along the shoreline and waiting for herring to coat them in a thick layer of eggs. KCAW's Catherine Rose recently spoke with one subsistence advocate who's determined to see this tradition continue by working to protect herring stocks and by teaching kids how to harvest eggs. They're really excited about it. They, they like to eat them, but they're not really sure how to harvest them. Tom Gamble is a former tribal council member and a subsistence harvester. This spring, he shared some of his knowledge in a herring camp for kids, which he said was all about creating those aha moments. So giving them just the mental images for the first time and being able to manipulate a, you know, a branch and a, and a twig and, and the hope that maybe they might get some eggs. The camp is an extension of his new business, the Alaska Native Indigenous Training Academy, or ANITA, named after his late mother. Over the course of several hours one day in March, he taught around 10 students and their chaperones the basics of harvesting herring eggs on branches, from the technical to the familial. So the very first activity they had to do was to go and find a rock together, and then they had to learn how to tie it together, you know, and and to communicate what works and what didn't, because if you're out there and you're out harvesting and you're, you're not talking with your family, then it's just work. You might as well just get a job and call it work. It's got to be fun. Eight-year-old Lucas Schmidt was one of the students who participated. It was helping Tommy out set the the trap for the herring. It was fun. I liked doing it. And I got to learn, learn something new. Lucas's mom, Jaren, says the camp was an important experience for her kids and her homeschool classroom. It is important to uh, carry on some of the Klinka traditions and to learn about them. My family and I are Inupiaq, so uh, this is all new for us, but it's fun to uh, learn about the traditions of the local indigenous peoples. Subsistence is a lifelong practice for Gamble. He is Kiksadi from the Clay House, and his family uses the herring rock as their emblem, signifying strong cultural ties to Sitka herring for thousands of years. His advocacy for herring has become energized by what he's seen on the water over the last couple of decades. As a subsistence harvester, we're the front line, and we, we see a lot of 
changes. My involvement, if you would, wasn't chosen where I wanted to draw a line in the sand and say I want the commercial side to be over here and I want the subsistence guys to be over here. My involvement came because we realized that if we didn't stand up, there were never going to be any changes and we were going to get run right out of our own way of life. The Sitka tribe of Alaska sued the state in 2018, calling for changes to the management of the commercial fishery. The case is still being litigated, but some incremental changes have been made. The state must now document its efforts to show they're allowing reasonable opportunity for subsistence. But Gamble is concerned that the state's modeling is far from perfect. Most recently, the, the indescribable, coming back from a different harvesting trip, I had to stop in the middle of the ocean to watch the herring surface. This was on the day that science flew everywhere in the sound and said they didn't see a single herring. So the traditional harvester had the herring come up under me. So I'm telling you again that our traditions and our knowledge are proven over time. When we say that the herring are disappearing, that's what we meant. Gamble understands that commercial saners are just trying to earn a living, but he believes the fleet is too large and should be reduced through a permit buyback program. And he'd like locals to have a larger role in managing the fishery through a stakeholders committee. In the meantime, it's important that the subsistence harvest of herring remains viable in Sitka Sound so that it can be taught down through the generations. Gamble plans to continue teaching subsistence camps throughout the year. It's a way to honor his mother, Anita, and a hedge against the day when he is an elder himself and may depend on others for this food. Trying to perpetuate a way of life that's disappearing. And when I was growing up, I never thought for the life of me that even my own kids would be so busy that, that I can't get help harvesting. And I thought, well, maybe if I trained a couple of these youngsters around here, I can sit at home and one day they just bring me a deer or a or seal or treat me like an elder one day. I'm going to train this next generation about how to take care of elders and their community by just taking care of themselves. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The CARES Act sent a lot of money to Alaska tribes, more than $300 million. Amid pandemic anxiety, the money was a godsend for remote Alaska communities. For tribal administrators, it was also a headache. Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin reports on how Alaska's tribes spent their funds and about the money of new cash that's coming at them soon. Bethel's tribe, Arutzachachamut Native Council, or ONC, received $14 million from the CARES Act. ONC Executive Director Mark Springer remembers the moment he learned the cash was in the tribe's bank account. I was sitting at my desk and my chief accountant, uh, my then chief accountant, came to the door and he stood in my door and he had a piece of paper in one hand and he was clutching his chest in his other. Of course, Springer and the accountant were elated, but it was a lot of money for a tribe of about 3,500 members. The rules for how it could be spent weren't clear at first, and originally the tribes had less than a year to spend it all. Springer says the deadline pressure was immense. Oh yes, there 
was many a uh, many a time when people looked right at me and said, "Mark, are you going to be able to spend all that money before December thirtieth?" That was the challenge for tribes all over the country. The government followed a formula to distribute Tribal CARES Act money. 225 Alaska tribal governments received amounts ranging from $100,000 to $20 million. Some tribes didn't get their share until late May. They had to figure out how to use it wisely or lose it. ONC bought a ton of supplies and personal protective equipment and a building to put it in. Springer says ONC still has enough hand sanitizer left to fill a swimming pool. But he says at a time when stores had no Clorox or Pine Sol, the tribe could provide. It feels real good when a family would call up and say, hey, you know, we're, we're COVID-19 positive and we need some cleaning supplies and some PPE. And we're like, yeah, we'll be right there. Like a lot of tribes, ONC distributed the bulk of its CARES Act money to its members, up to $5,000 per household. The spending has to go for pandemic-related needs, so the members filled out applications to document what they needed help with. Ultimately, Springer says the money went to the community at large, in Bethel or Anchorage or wherever the member lives. It does have a lot of economic impact because we were you know, sending checks to landlords. We were paying electric bills and water and sewer bills and fuel bills. And so that money really went directly into the economy. Some tribes aimed to improve food security by providing freezers or ammunition and boat fuel to help tribal members hunt. Congress later extended the CARES Act spending deadline until the end of this year. It gave tribal administrators time to catch their breath. Now they are getting ready for an even bigger pile of money from this year's COVID relief bill, the American Rescue Plan. For comparison, the CARES Act nationally had an $8 billion fund for tribal governments. The American Rescue Plan has $20 billion. Richard Peterson says he's ready. He's president of the Central Council of Clinkett and Haida Indian Tribes. I would say the CARES Act has kept me up at night, so I'm kind of used to it now. His government got $20 million in CARES Act funding, more than any other Alaska tribe. Most of it was distributed to the households of its 32,000 members, about a third of whom live in southeast Alaska. With the American Rescue Plan, Central Council might get two or three times as much as it got from the CARES Act. But this time, the allowable uses are broader, and the spending deadline isn't until the end of 2024. Peterson says he's grateful to have more time to strategize for economic development and recovery. So, one, I want to honor, um, you know, the intent in which it was issued. I also want to make sure that we're doing the best by our citizens, you know. So, yeah, it all keeps me up at night. 